0: What
1: advice would you give pet owners listening to this podcast about preparing an estate plan?
0: Do it, actually just do it. The primary issue with a lot of this stuff is that people don't. There was an unfortunate situation that was not a client of mine, but you know the gentleman was found deceased and his dog was taken to the animal shelter and the family had to go get the dog from the animal shelter in the middle of dealing with all of this and nobody was quite sure what to do with it. We had another one, which was a family extended situation where a gentleman had to go into a nursing level care, could not bring his dog, dog was poorly behaved, and so we were struggling to find a place that would take him. We ultimately found a family for him, but you know, you, you had to meet the needs of a very large, very active dog in a slightly more urban area, and he ended up living more rurally to do that. Welcome to the Will and the Way podcast, a podcast about making a state planning simple and accessible with fun stories, delightful soapbox rants, and more educational resources than you can imagine. Each week we deliver the best insights and practical advice on wills, trusts, and how to protect what's important to you. Now here's your host, attorney Alexandra Jackson. Hello and welcome to A Will End A Way. I am Alexandra Jackson. I'm an estate planning attorney in South Portland, Maine. And this is my partner at the firm, Francis Jackson. We are here today talking about commandment number four of estate planning, thou shalt remember thy pets.
1: So Alex, can you just start off by explaining to folks why it's important to include pets in an estate plan? So
0: as with children, it's important to include your pets because somebody has to take care of them. This is a, a pretty basic sort of thing. And the other problem is legally if you don't designate somebody, the answer is nobody knows what they're doing.
1: So what happens to pets if they're not included in somebody's estate plan?
0: So if you don't specifically include a pet, they are considered personal property. And specifically they are what's called tangible personal property, which means your physical stuff that you can touch. They're considered property for pretty old legal reasons. Obviously, most of us think of them as slightly more than that. But they end up as part of what's called the residue of the estate plan, so the all other stuff. And they will go to whoever gets the rest of the things that you haven't designated. Now, sometimes that's okay if your will says everything to your spouse, still going to probably keep your pet. But if you don't have a will, so it's a state law designation, or if you picked somebody who's older or perhaps not physically able or financially able to care for them, that can be a problem.
1: So how can individuals ensure that their pets are taken care of?
0: So there's two things you need to do. And again, this is just like kids. You need to, one, figure out who you want to care for your pet if something happens to you and two, you need to talk with them about it because you need to make sure that they are able to physically, emotionally, and financially take that on. A lot of the times people will leave money to the people who are caring for their pets based on how much it would cost to care for them for a year and the expected lifespan of the pet, you know. A cat is going to live less time than a tortoise, for example, as a general rule, but you need to make sure this person's going to say yes.
1: So what are are some of the common misconceptions about including pets in an estate plan? Can you explain to our audience?
0: I think probably the most common thought is that it's just gonna fix itself. It's not, and you could end up with a very weird situation that you aren't anticipating. I think is a practical reality. A lot of the times families can figure it out, but you don't want to end up in the situation where they don't. The other thing is you can, in a lot of places, actually leave money for care of your pets in like a pet trust or something like that. So your cat's not gonna inherit a million dollars necessarily because they can't inherit outright, but there's a lot of states that have some sort of vehicle specifically for care for pets.
1: Well, so can you describe the process of setting up this kind of a pet trust and why someone might want to consider that option?
0: So in a lot of states, including Maine, it's very similar to setting up any other ordinary trust, except that you're using kind of a human substitute who's going to control the money. Obviously my cat, although, well, my cats, although they love the effects of the money that I shower upon them, are not themselves physically capable of going to the bank and withdrawing anything. So you have to designate, and you can designate separate people as like the finance officer for the pets, as opposed to the guardian, just like you can with kids. But you have to pick a human who's going to do all of the associated legal paperwork that goes with this. And like I said, you can spread it between different people or you can leave it all as one person. But an actual physical human has to be trustee and do all of the associated paperwork.
1: So are there any special considerations for pets with long lifespans like parrots or the tortoise you mentioned earlier?
0: Yeah, I'd say the biggest consideration for those is you have to consider the caretaker's lifespan also. Because if you, for example, are older with a pet who is likely to outlive you, it's different if they're going to outlive you by like 10 years than it is if they're going to outlive you by like 50 years. So if you're looking at that, you're chosen caretaker may not be able to do it. You may have to look further down for backups, so people who aren't close to you in age, a professional organization, you know, a rescue or a sanctuary who might be willing to do care, that sort of thing.
1: So are those some of the factors that should go into how you go about choosing a potential caretaker for the pet?
0: Absolutely. I mean, always the number one is would you trust them with your pet? Do you think that they are going to love them, frankly. If you don't think so, you should find somebody you genuinely think is going to care for them. There's also, I'm a cat person. Somebody gave me a dog, I'd have no idea what I was doing. So are they either able or willing to learn to care for your pet's particular needs? Do they have any experience in caring for it? You know, I had uh, an older cat that, bluntly, I lost recently, so if I start crying, that's why. And near the end of his life, he had much higher medical needs. So some people may not be able or willing to give that level of care.
1: Well, so what are some of the the financial considerations that pet owners should keep in mind when including pets in their estate plans?
0: I mean, really what you want to think about is a combination of what can your caretaker provide financially and what can you provide financially. You generally will know, okay, what am I feeding them? What do they have for vet care? What other, you know, sort of maybe luxury items do I give them on a regular basis? Do you have bark box? Some people do. Does your animal go to, for example, doggy daycare? That's a cost. My indoor cats do not have some of the same expenses as, you know, my friend who sends her dog to a farm camp so that she can go run around. But you can usually estimate what you spend on the pet in a year and what the lifespan of the breed or type of animal is, kind of calculate, okay, well, I'm spending $2,000 or whatever you're spending for this pet for a year. They've got probably another, you know, nine to 11 years. I have probably another five years. Ideally, you have more than that. But, you know, you can kind of estimate how much money you'd need to leave depending on what their anticipated lifespan is.
1: So are there any other financial considerations that pet owners should keep in mind in including their pet in an estate plan?
0: Yeah, one of them is really going to be about end-of-life expenses because that's going to be a much higher bump than when a pet is younger. So, and those are harder to predict, you know, that's potentially emergency room visits, that sort of thing. So it's important to realize that you can plan out what you're paying now, but if they pick up more medical bills, you should probably estimate slightly more than you're actually currently paying.
1: And what information should pet owners provide to the proposed future caretaker to ensure a smooth transition and good care for the pet?
0: So what you would give to a caretaker if something happened to you is basically what you'd give to a pet sitter but on steroids so obviously they want to know who's the vet who's the emergency vet or specialist if they go what do they eat what do they do for medication if anything but you also want them to know more things like okay well This cat, this behavior is really normal. These are their favorite toys. This is where they like to sleep and why. More of the personality information. You know, my cats, the pet suitors told me that they see one of them once a year, you know? But if you're living with them every day, I want them to know, oh, he's super affectionate, but he's not at all food motivated. You're never gonna get a pill in him that way. You have to give him love and affection if you wanna train him to do something. Well, Yoshi's food made it motivated. I'm I'm talking about Sherlock. He's the hider who's not at all motivated by food. But you want to give them more details about your pet than you would give to somebody who's just looking after them for a short period because you want them to understand. One of the big problems with pets is when they have medical issues, some animals do not display it particularly strongly. Cats are notorious for this. So cats, a lot of the time, you don't know that they're feeling really poorly until they're really doing poorly. But if you know the animal's personality, it's a lot easier to pick up on if there's a problem. For example, if Yoshi misses a meal, he's going to the ER. No question. If Sherlock doesn't eat his daytime feeding, I'm not worried about him. So stuff like that can help the transition a lot. Making sure they've got favorite toys you know, favorite pieces of furniture around the house if you have as many pieces of cat furniture as I do. That sort of stuff can be helpful with the transition.
1: So is it possible to leave assets directly to a pet?
0: I mentioned this briefly earlier, but no, legally they don't have standing in that sort of way in most places. You can leave it through a trust, basically using a a human caretaker as a funnel. But as a general rule, you can't leave it directly to the pet. They can't sign for things. They can't go to a bank. They don't have capacity in the human sense.
1: So can you describe the process of setting up a pet trust and why somebody might want to consider that option?
0: Yeah, it's it's really just like setting up a trust for a human. You need to pick a trustee who's going to do all of the paperwork and accounting. and. That may or may not be the same person who's going to be caring for the pet, but you also need to designate a person to do that.
1: And how do state laws like the ones in Maine impact the inclusion of pets in an estate plan?
0: I think the primary one is how legally the animal is viewed. They're, we're generally in the tangible personal property category, but some of them do have you know, pet trusts like Maine does. Some of them don't. You might have to jury rig it a little more with gifts to a person with some sort of contract or other understanding that they're going to get this money in exchange for care they're providing.
1: So what happens if the pet owner outlives the proposed caretaker?
0: Well, at that point, you really need to pick somebody else, don't you?
1: (laughs) Well, can you update your estate plan? Yes, Mm -hmm. yeah.
0: You can absolutely change your estate planning documents, find somebody else. Choose a new name. If it's a will, you can do a codicil. If it's a trust, you can do an amendment, but there's all sorts of ways to update it. Don't leave it, by all means.
1: And what about if you get a new pet? Can you, can you update your plan for that?
0: Yes. Just like with changing the proposed caretaker, you can make updates for, okay, this pet died. This pet has been adopted. Here's the information that needs to be changed. I need to change the finances this way. You know, I might need to have multiple caretakers if I have multiple pets. You know, I'm leaving my cat to Susie and my dog to Joe because they have different needs, stuff like that.
1: So what's the role of animal care organizations or charities in estate planning for pets? Is is there a role?
0: Yeah, there's, well, frankly, most of my clients donate to them. But there are organizations that will arrange to care for your animals, sanctuaries in particular. There's places basically where you can arrange ahead of time, okay, I'm going to leave you money and you're going to care for my pet. So that ideally the organization, even if your chosen caretaker does not love you, will.
1: But what, what advice would you give pet owners listening to this podcast about preparing an estate plan?
0: Do it. Actually just do it. The primary issue with a lot of this stuff is that people don't. There was an unfortunate situation that was not a client of mine, but, you know, the gentleman was found deceased and his dog was taken to the animal shelter and the family had to go get the dog from the animal shelter in the middle of dealing with all of this. And nobody was quite sure what to do with it. We had another one, which was a family extended situation where gentleman had to go into a nursing level care, could not bring his dog. dog was poorly behaved, and so we were struggling to find a place that would take him. We ultimately found a family for him, but, you know, you you had to meet the needs of a very large, very active dog in a slightly more urban area, and he ended up living more rurally to do that.
1: So how often should pet owners review their estate plans in order to deal with the provisions concerning pets?
0: You should review your estate plan regarding your pets as often as you do everything else in your estate plan. So I give a general rule of thumb of three years. That's usually enough time for things to change, enough that you may need to change it. The other rule of thumb is as as I normally refer to it, birth, marriage, death, divorce. With pets, of course, you're including adoption as opposed to birth most of the time unless you're doing breeding or something. But basically, any time there's a big change in the pets that you have or the plans for the pets, you should just
1: reflect that. So what's the most important thing for listeners to know about estate planning for their pets?
0: I think the most important thing to know is that you can do it. I think a lot of the time people either don't think about it or don't think they can really provide for their cat, pets not necessarily cats, I say cats, obviously, but provide for their animals in as detailed a way as they want to, and you can. You just gotta make the planning and make the arrangements.
1: So out of all of these things that we've talked about, what would you say are the most important points for pet owners to focus on when they get around to estate planning and they're thinking about trying to make long-term arrangements for their pets?
0: I'd say the top three are talking to a potential caretaker. So actually vetting with them that it's okay. Mm -hmm. Checking financially if you can afford to leave them enough to care for the pet or if they can afford to take on the pet. Mm -hmm. And being aware of how old your proposed caretaker or backup caretaker is, what health ailments they do and don't have, and what's the basically projected period that they could provide this care and being aware that you may have to change that at some point.
1: And in these overall considerations about dealing with your pets in estate planning, what would you say are the biggest problems that you've seen in the handling of pets in estate planning?
0: I think the one that comes up the most often certainly is not being realistic about caretakers or not being decisive about caretakers. I think a lot of it comes down to they're like, eh, they'll figure it out. Well, either it turns out nobody wanted the pet or it turns out everybody wanted the pet, which is also common. And so then there's a fight about who gets to have the beloved family pet. And you just don't want that. You just wanna be really clear from the get-go what's happening. Clarity is king in this.
1: Sadly, are there situations where if the pet owner doesn't make appropriate provisions, there's a risk that the pet may end up being euthanized simply because no one will take them?
0: Yes, that's a very high risk basically everywhere if you don't if you don't find somebody who has the capacity a lot of times they just end up in the shelter and if it's a kill shelter that's an answer a lot of the time you know the older and less healthy a pet is, the more likely that is. It's just a matter of area, in some cases, geographical area, and, you know, popularity or rarity of an animal with the certain conditions or breed, etc. Desirability in the marketplace, I guess, is what I should say, but, you know, people like kittens people are not as likely to pick up an elderly parrot. This is just how
1: it is. All right. Well, I think we've run out of time for today, so uh, I think we need to wrap it up.
0: Awesome. Thank you for joining us for A Will and a Way.
1: Thanks for joining us this week on the Will and The Way podcast. Make sure to
0: visit our website jacksonestateplanning.com slash podcast where you can subscribe to the show in itunes spotify or via rss so you'll never miss
1: a show be sure to tune in next week for our next episode